to be with you this weekend. Plantation Campus, whatever service you're in, welcome to you. Gateway, welcome to you as well. Anybody watching online or listening, we're so glad that you're with us. As we continue on in our Come On Man series, and what a fun series it has been. Pastor Mike kicked it off last weekend. If you missed that, go back and watch an incredible start to Come On Man. And then obviously this weekend, we're going to continue in that. And let me reiterate what your campus pastor said during those announcements. Pastor Matt's birthday is next weekend. We are celebrating his 40th birthday. He has got a message he's so excited to share with all of us on things he's learned in the first 40 years. So don't miss that weekend. Make sure that you're here with us. But Come On Man continues this weekend, and it is this idea of moments that we've had that we wish someone would have said, hey, watch out before what you do because you're going to have one of these embarrassing moment, come on man moments. It's an NFL football, Monday night football. Anybody excited that football's almost here? Anybody? Come on. So it's coming around Monday night. They show clips from Sunday of athletes who fail, and then they kind of say, come on man, like you should have done better. You're a professional athlete. So we thought about, you know, what if we did a series this summer directed towards men and using some of our vocabulary and verbiage and even our content and directed it towards men. But ladies, before you check out on me and zone out, I promise you last weekend, this weekend, the weekends as we move forward, they are going to have us pl- enough material and content for you to apply to your life as well. So don't zone out on us in this come on man reality. We've all had come on man moments, haven't we? We've, we've all had those. I have a two-year-old right now, so I feel like I'm living in the world of come on man moments as a dad. Like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just figuring it out as I go. All the advice that you keep giving me, it's not working. So I guess it's per child. Um, it all changes per child. So uh, come on man moments. Uh, here's the thing. When you become a pastor, you lose, you lose your right to become angry in public, right? Like as a pastor, you lose your right to become angry. Our church has gotten bigger in a couple locations. And if you attend our church or you've attended our church or you visited our church or you maybe watch online, like you, you get recognized in, in Southwest Florida because it's not as big as people think it is, a little more than maybe you would think. So I've had a come on man moment a couple times recently. And uh, my mom was in town and we went down to Gulf Coast Town Center and kind of did the whole day with my wife and Kaylee and my mom and went shopping. We ended up at Longhorn steakhouse and it was like five o'clock 515 so an early dinner and uh season was done so that the the restaurant was pretty empty there was hardly anybody there at five o'clock so we go in we get a booth towards the back nobody's around we order kaylee's food because that's how you keep a two-year-old still you order her food first and you get it there right and then so then we ordered our food but by the time she finished her food our food was just showing up so of course she wants out of her high chair and she ends up standing between my mom and my wife and i'm on the other side of the booth and then she gets fidgety and starts trying to crawl underneath the booth you guys all have experienced that, and she ends up standing next to me. And then about 40 minutes into our dinner, there's a tabletop of six that's directly to our right in the booth we're in, and, 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 and three couples, six people came, and they got sat there. They were seasonal couples, um, which basically just means they were older than we were, and uh, they were there. <laughs> And uh, they were there for, you know, the early dinner. And anyway, they sat down. And then about three minutes into them sitting down, Kaylee gave one of those excited screams that there was no reason for at all. Just being a two-year-old out of nowhere, she's like, Wah! Three seconds long, not a big deal. But I got what I would consider the death stare from the lady whose back was to us when she went. <laughs> and then turned around and and started saying something to her husband, which I'm intuitive enough to know that she's talking about us and that our kid is so horrible. Well, about five minutes later, Kaylee gave another excited scream again. Nobody's in the restaurant besides like 11 or 12 people. She'd go, ah! And this lady turns around, and this time it was the whole like, and she just looked right at me, and she shook her head basically saying, you're a horrible parent and your child's awful. Well, back to this, you give up your right to be angry in public as a pastor. Well, I kind of, that was not a filter at that moment for me. And um, 
So I started scooting down the booth. Like, I just grabbed Kaylee and I started scooting down the booth. And, and I, I said something to the lady on my way out. I didn't say it under my breath. I didn't scream at her. I just said it loud enough for her to hear it clearly. Um, and I just kind of walked by and I was like, she's two years old. I'm sorry that she's ruining your dinner. I'm going to take her outside. And when I said I'm going to take her outside, I'd, my back was turned to her. And then she goes, thank you. Now, when she said thank you, I'm from South Alabama. There's a little bit of a little bit of redneck that comes out every once in a while, and it just kind of drummed up in me. And I just turned around in a very nice way, and I was like, "I'm sorry, she's two years old. She's ruining your dinner." And I walked off. I don't even know what happened, but I got outside. I got in my car. I'm sitting in the driver's seat. Kaylee, I'm only halfway through my dinner. Kaylee's in the driver's seat. We're sitting there. We turn on music. She's sitting next to me. She's singing "Shake It Off," and I'm sitting there going, I probably should shake it off, and but I'm not. I'm boiling. You know what I'm talking about, men, where you're just shaking your foot. The whole car's shaking, and my little daughter's beside me like, shake it off, shake it off. And I'm like, this isn't. So 20 minutes later, my wife comes out. She knocks on the window because we, ha- we need to pay for our food. So she comes out, and she's like, I just put my hand out the window with my wallet. And she, I'm like, and at that part, I felt a little bad. I mean, I, I yelled at an older lady, which, again, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe. Um, but so I, I, so I, I look on and I, I'm like, well, honey, do I, do I need to come in? Do I need to apologize? Do I need to pay for their dinner? And my wife, I love her. She's Italian. She's like, no way. They deserve everything they got. And when you left, your mom went off on them. And I'm like, nice. Uh, so anyway, she probably attends our church. So Longhorn ma'am lady that's here, I apologize for yelling at you. You should have been nicer, but I apologize <laughs> if you attend our church at all. But I had one of those come on man moments. And you know what I'm talking about, where you do things that you wish you could take back. You, you do something that you wish you had a second chance at. You do something that you wish somebody would have known you were going to do beforehand. And they, they warn you to not do that beforehand. You, you do that thing that people look on and probably go, come on, man. Like, you could have done better. And that's what we're doing in this series is we're talking to men about these come on man things in our life that, that if we can talk about them now, we believe that if we can get some things straight in our life, God can allow us and continue to mold us into the men that he's called us to be. So this weekend, we're going to look in the book of Romans. If you have your Bible or your smartphone and you want to flip to Romans chapter six, we're going to land there for just a few minutes. And we're just going to read one verse this weekend. And we're going to pull a principle out of that, that I believe has the ability men and all of our services that are watching to set us up to move forward in our our life to become the men of God that he's called us to be, maybe talking about a specific subject greater than anything we've talked about in a long time. So Romans chapter 6, verse 23, read it with me here. If you don't have your Bibles, the verses will be on the screen. It says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, the principle that I want to talk about this weekend in all of our services is this idea that, that sin leads to death, but righteousness leads to life. That any area of our life where there is sin, it will lead to death, but righteousness, living in the right standard with God, moving towards God, trying to live our life like Christ, living in righteousness allows us to live in life that sin brings upon death in our life, but righteousness brings upon life in our life. And some of us know what I'm talking about when I talk about that idea of, of living this, this, this season of our life where it feels 
like death. Maybe for you, if you drive your car around Southwest Florida, I live in Gateway, so it's like the sheriffs really love Gateway Boulevard right now. I think it's because it's 35 in there and nobody drives 35, so they're kind of parked all around Gateway Boulevard now. And I'll drive, I'll leave home on a pretty regular basis. I'll come around that bend from Stony Brook near our Gateway campus, and there's always, you know, an unmarked car or a sheriff's car. And we've all had that feeling before, haven't we? When we, we see a cop, like there's things that go through our head. We glance at the speedometer. I'm a 43 guy in a 35 zone. That's kind of where I live. Like, so I glance at my speedometer and you have a couple options at that moment. You can hit the brakes, which I believe every time I do that shows the cop I'm speeding because it's like, you know, so even if he's not trying to get me on the speedometer, he now knows I was speeding. Or you can just let off the gas and like coast and hope you get that one mile an hour less by the time he's already gotten you on the speedometer. But, but we have those moments where we look and we're like, oh no. And then we pass the cop. And what happens every time we pass the cop? We look in our rearview mirror. We look in our side mirror. And you've got about a 40 to 50 yard window, in my opinion, that either they're going to turn the lights on or they're not going to turn the lights on. And what happens when they don't turn the lights on? And we knew we were speeding and they were sitting there. There's this sense of freedom, isn't there? It's like the woohoo, yes, they're not going to get me. And every once in a while you have that moment where like 120 yards later, they come flying around the corner and the lights are like, no. But most of the time that you feel like freedom, like, man, I, I didn't get caught doing something I shouldn't be doing. But every once in a while at 50, 60 yards, you'll see those lights flip on, won't you? And there's that feeling of, oh no, I got caught doing something I should not do. And one of those feels like freedom and one of those feels like death. And that same set of emotions that we experience and something as silly as that is the same thing that happens when we get caught up in sin. That when we're living in sin in any area of our life, if we're not caught in that sin, there's this sense of freedom that we feel like we're, we're free and that, that we're not caught in it. But when we get caught in sin, it feels like death. And some of us know that feeling because we've been caught in sin before. Some of us men, we've, our wife has found our text messages and we were texting someone we shouldn't have been texting or men, we found our wives' Facebook messages and there's been an emotional conversation that happened on Facebook. Teenagers, that, that tension of if you cheat on a test and you're wondering if that teacher is going to catch you or not and you've got your hand and the deal and you're looking up and they're grading papers and then there's that moment that they look at you and you're looking at them and they know what's going on and I sound like I know that all too well. But <laughs> so... It's like, that doesn't work anymore. So, uh, so, but, but there's that tension of, oh my goodness, did I get caught doing something I shouldn't do? Some of us have started a rumor or a lie and it's came back to us and found out that we were the ones that started it. Some of us have stole something in our life and we didn't get caught and it felt like freedom. We did it. We got away with it. But then when we get caught, it feels like death. And here's what happens with sin. Think back to the last time that you did something that you shouldn't have done and you got caught doing it, that sin feels like death. I was talking to Shane Frazier, our new Connections pastor uh, here at our church, who's been a lead pastor for a long time, and we're so lucky to have him on staff now. And I was telling him, I was speaking about this principle of that anywhere we have sin in our life, it leads to death, but righteousness leads to life. And he said, Kyle, out of all my years of pastoring and pastoring people and even dealing with sin in their lives and dealing with sin in my life in the past, here's what I believe sin does. And I loved this statement. He said, sin will take us further than we want to go, keep us there longer than we want to stay and cost us more than we want to pay. That sin will take us further than we want to go, keep us there longer than we want to stay and cost us more than we want to pay. And anytime we're involved in sin, it leads to death and sin has the ability to bring death to every good area in our lives. 
So this weekend, I, w- I want to zoom in because this sin idea is so broad and so big. But this weekend, we're going to spend the next 10 to 15 minutes and we're going we're gonna to zoom in on one specific sin that I believe in this series, Come On Man, is so right. And we're going to talk about a sin that I believe has captured the hearts and the minds and the souls of men, not just here in Southwest Florida, across our state, but across our country and around the world. And I believe this specific sin is something that's tearing marriages apart. It's tearing our parenting and kids apart. It's tearing apart our careers. And I believe this one specific sin leads to so many other things in our lives where financial frustrations or our marriage is rocky or we're not everywhere that we want to be and our relationship with Christ is not all that we want it to be. And I think that it can trickle back to this one specific sin. And that sin we're going to talk about this weekend is pornography. And let me just say this. I have been burdened all week about talking about this. I don't want to talk about this. It's not fun. And if I can just be honest and vulnerable with you for a second, I don't want to talk about it, but I know it needs to be talked about. Because I believe as followers of Christ, we are not being the men that God wants us to be when this specific sin has captured our heart or our mind and has gotten into our soul and our marriages and our families and our kids and our careers and who we are in Christ is being ripped apart because of this one specific sin. So could you do me a favor, men, before walls go up in your heart? Would you lean in? Would you sit up? Would you lock eyes with me? Because I believe that if we can get this straight, I believe that the Lord is here this weekend. And I believe that if we can get this straight and we can leave walls down and you can be vulnerable enough to listen to what I have to say over the next 15 or 20 minutes, I believe the Lord's going to speak through me to you and it's going to allow you to move towards freedom in this area of your life. But before we do that, I'd love to look at some stats. It's been interesting to me that after researching this the last several weeks uh, leading into this message, you know, I knew it was a problem. I am blown away by how big of a problem that it actually is. And I'm going to throw some stats on the, the screen. I have it in my notes here as porn stats. I'm not sure that's exactly the best phrase for it, but let's take a look at some porn stats together uh, here this weekend. Um, <laughs> right? It's, it's better than me saying, check out this video. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's not in the notes. Um, let's look at some stats together this weekend because I believe this will allow us to recognize how serious of an issue this is in our world today. Check this out. Porn sites get more visitors each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. 30% of the internet industry is pornography. 30% of the internet, anything you can do on the internet, drives to pornography. Mobile porn, phone, cell phone, computer is expected to reach $2.8 billion by the end of this year. The United States is the largest producer and exporter of hardcore pornographic DVDs and web material. We live in a country that is the number one producer, second to Germany is second. We live in a country that produces more of this than any other country in our world. Online statistics firms say that 40 million people view porn regularly. Here's some marriage stats for you men. 56% of divorces involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. More than half of divorces. 350 divorce attorneys polled in 2003 say that two-thirds of divorces had reasons concerning the internet with excessive interest and online porn, and 68% of couples where one was addicted to porn, one or both people had lost the interest in sex. Seven out of 10 marriages have lost interest in sex when one person is viewing porn. Women generally experience a 40% reduction in self-esteem after marrying a man 
who've used porn, being married to a porn viewer increases your odds of depression by 43%. Fellas, our wives, 50% of their self-esteem is made up in this area of how you view them and how your marriage is and how your sex life is and whether or not you look at porn or not, 50% of their self-esteem and they're 43% more likely to live in depression if we're addicted to pornography. Look at this, 20% of the internet porn comes from coerced or trafficked children, revealing that the internet porn use directly supports child sex trafficking. Well, Kyle, I would never, I would never support child sex trafficking. 20% of what we're watching online is trafficked children under the age of 18 that are being forced to do this. Here's some teenager stats for you. If you have teenagers, 93% of boys 62% of girls have seen porn before the age of 18. Roughly two-thirds of young men and one-half of young women agree that viewing pornography is acceptable. We are, we are living in a generation, parents, where we're parenting our children, and, and, and two-thirds of boys and almost half of girls actually think that viewing pornography is not wrong. Xbox, if your children play Xbox Live, they actually market to 10 to 12-year-olds specifically to their accounts on Xbox pornography because it has been shown that if you can get a kid from 10 to 12 looking at something pornographic, they will struggle with it for the rest of their lives, which means they are adding more money and more fuel to the porn industry. Your children are dealing with it, I promise you. And this sin of pornography will bring death to every good area of our lives. So fellas, listen to me. We gotta get it straight. It starts with us. So in your bulletin, if you'll pull out a slip of paper, there are three areas that I want to talk about here at the front part of this message. Three areas that begin to die from viewing pornography. Three areas that die from viewing pornography. Fill in the blanks with me as we move along here. Number one, it's our marriage. Number one, our marriage starts to die when we view pornography men. It's like, it's, like drive, it's, it's like a car illustration. In Southwest Florida, a lot of nice cars. You go down to Mercado, they like circle them up in the circle, and everybody kind of walks around and just views them and takes pictures. And it's like, wow, what an awesome car. There's a lot of nice cars here in Southwest Florida. And it's easy to drive around and focus on how awesome other people's cars are, isn't it? Maybe I just deal with this, but I, I, I tend to go, wow, that's a nice car. Wow, that's a nice car. Man, look at, look at that car. And here's what happens. We judge their car based on a glimpse but we judge our car based on what it's like to drive every day. And that's what pornography does in our lives, men. It gives us a very unrealistic, glamorized, edited glimpse of other women. And then we compare our wives whom we live with daily to an unrealistic expectation that is put in front of us by actresses and video editors. Men, listen to me. Our wives deserve better. Wives this weekend, you deserve better. Come on, men. 43% more likely to deal with depression if you're looking at this stuff. 50% of their self-esteem cut out from underneath them if they catch you dealing with this right 
here. We look on at things and we see something in a glimpse and we like it and you are taking something that's unrealistic and comparing it to your everyday life and it is not fair. It is not true. It is not real. What is real is your wife sitting at your home depressed and her self-esteem being cut from underneath her because of something that we want that brings simple and quick satisfaction that's not even real. And our wives deserve better, men. The second thing that I think it kills, the second area that I believe it kills in our life, number one, our, our marriage, number two, it's our parenting. It's our parenting. I think, that, I think that when we look at pornography, men, we lose the moral authority to teach our kids how they need to live their lives. And this goes way beyond pornography. Anything that we do, our, high, our lowest standard will be our kids' highest standards. And when we look at pornography, we lose the moral authority on how to tell our kids to live in that area of their life. Look at some of these stats. 26% of kids have witnessed or discovered their father having multiple affairs before the age of 18. 94% of kids reported having difficulty trusting others after discovering a parent's porn addiction. 100% basically of kids who find out their parent is viewing porn will struggle the rest of their life with trusting others. They will not trust their parents. They will not trust their teachers. They will not trust their coaches. They will not trust their friends. They will not trust their future boyfriends and girlfriends, their future spouses. They will not trust their kids. When, caught by a, when a parent is caught with a pornography issue, kids lose trust in everyone they come in contact with. Come on, men. Don't our kids deserve better than that? Don't our kids deserve better than to not grow up struggling with trust in every area of their life because of this issue? And that goes with other issues as well. If we don't want our kids to cuss, we can't be cussing at clients on home on the phone after hours. If we want our kids to, our to treat their teachers with respect, then we can't yell and be mean to waiters and waitresses in public. If we want our kids to, to grow up loving Jesus, men, then we have to love Jesus, we have to be at church regularly. We have to read our Bibles. We have to set the standard that church and God is a priority in our lives. Fellas, if you have sons and you want them to treat women with respect, then we must treat our girlfriends, our fiancés, or our wives with respect because our lowest standard will be their highest standard and, and children will grow up watching what you do and living their life more on what you do than what you say. And in any area of your life that you are living at a low standard, your kids will look on at that, and that is how they will live their lives. We've got to figure this thing out when it comes to sin leading to death, specifically this weekend, pornography. Number one, it'll kill our marriage. Number two, it'll kill our parenting. But number three, it'll kill our soul. It'll kill our soul. Look what Isaiah says in chapter 59, verse 2. It says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. My, it's interesting to me to watch my little two-year-old now and even some of our staff kids who are five to seven or eight. It's, I watch those kids and they will do things they know they shouldn't do and they they hide their face. Like they do things that they know aren't right and they know they're not right and then they, they feel shameful about them. My little two-year-old daughter, like she is in this stage, she is strong-willed and she will just do things at the house where like she knows she's about to do something wrong so she looks at you and she's like, 
And I look back at her, I'm like, and then she looks back at me like, and before I can look back at her, she's like, and does whatever it is that she's going to do. And every single time, it's hard not to laugh. I think it's funny. My wife doesn't think it's funny. So we're working on that whole parenting thing. I think it's hilarious because it's amazing to me, even at the age of two, that when she does that and she knows she's not supposed to, before I can say anything to her, she hides her face. She puts her head down. She cries. She feels shameful for doing something she knows she should not have done. She hides her face. And here's what I believe viewing pornography does. I believe that it brings shame on our lives. And when it brings shame on our life, it brings this disconnection from our lives and it moves us further away from God. That shame in our life comes on when we view pornography. And then from that shame, we will start to hide our face from God and he starts to hide his face from us. And some of us know what I'm talking about because there's been a season of your life previous maybe to now that you, you walked away from church, you walked away from God, you were doing some things in your life that brought shame into your life. And when it brought shame, it brought distance between you and God. And you felt like God was hiding his face. You knew he loved you, but you felt too shameful. So you started hiding your face and you walked away for a season and it felt like death in that season, didn't it? And now that we're on the other side of that, it feels like life when we're connected with God and we're here with God. But when we're living in sin, it brings death and separation between us and God. That was my story in 2001 to 2006. I, some things happened in my life and I walked away from church. I walked away from God. I didn't crack my Bible open for over five years. I did not walk into a church for over six years. I did some things in that season that I would be embarrassed to tell you about today. And there was this shame and I had turned my back on God and I had hidden my face from him. And I felt like that he was doing the same thing too. But here's what I love about the God we serve. And if you're here this weekend and you feel shameful for something you're doing in your life right now, that you feel like God has been pulled away from you and separated from you. Listen, God might in some seasons feel like his face is hiding, but we serve a God that's full of grace and mercy and forgiveness, and there's nothing that you can do that can separate the love of God from your life. He might hide his face in some seasons from you, but all he's waiting on you to do is take one step back towards him because he'll take 99 steps back towards you. In Luke chapter 15, it talks about the lost coin, the lost sheep. It talks about the prodigal son, and I believe that God sits at the window like the father in that story, and he waits to see his son or daughter at the bottom of the hill, and maybe some of you think that you're supposed to walk at the bottom of the hill all the way back up the hill and you should walk with your hands crossed and your head down. But I believe we serve a God that as soon as he sees his son or daughter back at the bottom of the hill, he comes bursting through the front door and he sprints towards his son and daughter and he opens his arms wide open to hug you and accept you and bring you back. Listen, if you're living in shame and anything in your life right now and you feel separated from God, you serve a God that cannot wait to run down the hill and embrace you as his son and daughter or take a step back towards God. Because if we do not figure this sin thing out, porn, porn, pornography specifically, it will kill our soul. And men, we cannot allow it to kill our marriage. We cannot allow it to kill our parenting. And we cannot allow it to kill our soul. I believe that sin will bring death to every good area of our life. But the giver of life wants to break the power of sin off our life. So how do we do that? How do we break the power of sin 
in our lives. I, I saw a, a pastor recently um, speak on this verse out of the book of Luke, and it blew my mind because I've read that so many times with the way he contextualized it and took Old Testament to New Testament things and talked about this idea of breaking sin blew me away. And I think that what we're going to talk about here for the next couple minutes, a couple of these practicals are going to allow you to be set up in order to break any area of sin that's in your life right now. Any area that sin is bringing death to, I believe this is how we break the power of sin in our lives. Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 24. It'll be on the screens. It says this, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. So the, the enemy grabs a hold of your heart sometimes, your mind, your, your soul, and it gets in, and then we will drive it away. There are seasons where we'll push it away, and then it leaves, but it looks for somewhere else to go and reside. The enemy's always looking for a place to attack, but it'll always come back to the house that it first left. Verse 25, when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. The enemy comes back, and it finds that the windows are shut locked and sealed. The door is shut, locked and sealed. The furniture is in place. The house is clean because we have pushed that evil thing away. We have put away that sin and it cannot get back in. But here's what I believe happens, men. I believe that I sit with people over and over again. And what happens is, is that we start to do well in an area of our life where the enemy had a hold of our heart at some point in time. And we push the enemy away and, and we do the right things to get that part of our life fixed. And we start to rise and then we let off the gas. And we start to allow some things back into our life that we say aren't a big deal and we end up looping back to over here and what happens look at the next part of this verse in verse 26 it says then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and they live there and the final condition of that person is worse than the first what happens is, is we let our foot off the gas in an area of our life where we have pushed away the enemy we've pushed him away but that enemy comes back and it's looking to get back in and the house looks clean and it's well swept and everything's good, but then we take our foot off the gas. We stop doing some things that we were doing. We stop serving on a service team, going to a connection group, reading our Bible, coming to church because we get that area straight in our life. Then we go, you know what? We don't need as much of that anymore. And what happens when we do that is we crack a window. We crack a door open and the enemy has not just come back just how it was beforehand. He has come back in full force, the Bible says. It says he brings seven other evil spirits, which basically means he's coming back with full force and he's going to get back into that house and he is going to make it harder to get rid of that sin than it was the first time. Men, we cannot crack a window. We cannot crack a door. The time to be at church, the time to read your Bible, the time to be good with God is when things are going great. And a lot of times things start going great and then we slide back to what we were doing because we take our foot off the gas. We have to know that the enemy sits at the doorstep of our door waiting for an open door, waiting for a cracked window to get back in and make it hard. So I believe there's two things out of this verse that we can do in order to break sin in every area of our life, even pornography specific. Number one is this, if you want to write them down, we have to set up gates. We have to set up Gates. We live in Southwest Florida and it was new to me, but the whole gate thing, and I didn't love it when I first got here, but I've learned to like it that when you pull into a neighborhood, most of the time you have to have the sticker and the gate has to come up in order for you to get in. And what is that gate? That gate is a boundary. That, that gate is a boundary that does not allow you into a neighborhood unless you have the ability to get into that neighborhood. And it's a boundary. And gentlemen, here's what, here's what a boundary does. It protects our families and it protects us. Every time I leave, I know that my wife and my daughter are safe because there's a boundary that's set up. And that's what a boundary does. It protects us 
and our families. And listen, some of us need to set some boundaries in our life. When it comes to this idea of pornography, you don't have any boundaries right now, or you used to, and you've allowed those boundaries to, to move aside, and the door has been cracked or the window's been reopened. Some of us need to go home this weekend, and we need to move the computer. We need to delete the app. We need to get some software put on our computer. We need to stop clicking the link. We need to block that person from our email. We need to block that person from our Facebook. We need to go home this weekend and we need to throw the alcohol bottle away. We need to throw the pill bottle away. We need to stop going to that group on Tuesday mornings, women, that's just a gossip group that leads us towards death in that area of our life. Some of us need to go home this weekend and make the hard decision that's the right decision because anywhere in our life that we do not have boundaries, sin will grasp us. And when sin grasps us, it leads us to death in every area of our life. We have to set up gates. And then number two, we have to set up guards. We have to set up guards. I live in Stony Brook and I pick on Stony Brook all the time, but it's a great neighborhood. And not only do we have a gate, we also have a guard gate. And this is what I know. Listen, you're not getting into Stony Brook unless you live there and you have a sticker or somebody's called you into that guard gate. Like they are there and they are not letting you in. They won't even let me in sometimes. I'm like, but I live here. And like, why isn't your sticker working? I'm like, I have no idea. Like I just pulled up and the sticker doesn't work. Well, we need to see your ID, sir. I'll show them the ID. And like, how long have you lived here? I'm like, I live here. Like, let me just in the, they will not let you in. Here's what guards do. They add an extra layer of protection in your life. Boundaries are one thing, but a guard gate, a guard sets up another, another layer of protection in our lives. And some of us need some guards in our lives. We need to set up boundaries and set up gates, but some of us need to also get some guards in our life. Some of us need to get on a service team. Some of us need to go to a connection group and get some guards in our life, some accountability in our life. That's how you deal with this stuff. You have to be vulnerable enough to speak what's going on in your heart and put it into the light because anything in the dark grows, anything in the light will die. You have to be vulnerable enough to put it in the light and get some guards in your life so that they are there to protect you. Some of us need to go to counseling. Like it's a serious problem and some of us are going to need counseling. And here's one of the biggest things I'm tired of hearing, men, and I'm just gonna be honest with you this weekend. I'm gonna tell it to you black and white. I'm tired of hearing we can't afford it. You can pay for counseling now or you can pay for divorce lawyers and child support later. You get to make the choice. Don't go out to eat for the next two months. Cancel cable for three months. Do whatever it takes if that's what you need in this area of your life because it's too important. Look what Galatians says in chapter 6, verse 2. It says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Some of us need some guards in our life that can carry the burden with us. Do not let pride or insecurity keep you from being vulnerable with other men so that you can set up some guards and you can set up some gates in your life because it's too important, men. Our wives deserve to be holding our hand 10 years from now. Our wives deserve that. I don't know about you, but I do not want somebody else tucking my children into bed 10 years from now. I don't. And I don't think any of you here do either. If you're being honest with yourself, you, you want to be with your wife on your 50th anniversary. You want to be sitting at the table at your daughter or your son's wedding. You want to be sitting together. You do not want another man tucking your child into bed because your marriage fell apart because of this idea of sin leading to death in your marriage. Come on, fellas, our wives deserve better. 
You can be the man of God, the husband of God that you're called to be, the dad you're called to be, your relationship with Christ. You can take it to everywhere it's supposed to be, but anywhere we have sin in our life, it will lead to death. We must be aware of it. We have to set up gates and guards so that we can move towards righteousness and live in life. And here's what I hope you know this weekend in all of our services. I hope you hear this out of a heart that says, listen, you're not alone. You're not alone. And some of us are going, well, it's, I don't, I'm not addicted to it. I might have a problem. I'm not addicted. Either way, because what's not a big deal in one season will turn into a big deal in another. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Everybody deals with this to some extent. You're not alone. If you feel shameful about it, you serve a God that wants to forgive you and extend his grace and his mercy and his love over you. And I believe that freedom is in this place this weekend. And I would love nothing more than to pray freedom over the men of our church, understanding over you for pride not to come up in this season so that you can get it dealt with so that we can be the man that God's called us to be. So would you bow your heads across this place? I just want to pray this over you this week. And God, right now, Lord, I pray for freedom over every man in our church, God, whether they deal with it very little, whether they deal with it a lot. God, I pray freedom right now, God. I pray understanding over them of how big of a deal this is. God, and I pray that pride would not get in the way for us taking practical steps towards freedom, God, from slave to free in this area of our life because we know that when we're living in righteousness, we live in life. And God, you have called us to be men of God, husbands of God, dads of God. God, you have called us to something so much greater, Lord, that my words this weekend would not be condemnation, that they would be life and love over each person that's here. God, would you set us free? In Jesus' name, amen.